Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Willkommen. Uh, welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson. And I'm Ian Morris. I don't know why I took German there, but uh, no German coming later. However, we will be talking about Apple's announcements. We've decided to package this into the second half of the show because, you know, realistically, a lot of people who are listening to this show, you already know what Apple announced, and some of you won't care either. So uh, to save you from having to sit through or skip through or just switch off, we're going to package all the commentary, analysis, opinion that Ian and I have in the second half of the show so we can talk about the news um, ahead of that. And we're going to start in the news by talking about Ofcom, the uh, communications body here in the UK. It apparently is planning to make it easier for you to switch your mobile networks. Ian, it is a pain, isn't it, to switch mobile networks? It is a bit. It definitely could be easier. Well, we are in consultation now, according to the watchdog. A consultation period up until the 1st of June. Now, Ofcom has said that it wants the entire process to be led by a new provider. So at the moment, there's no sort of middleman that that is in charge of making sure that your contract is efficiently or without any additional payments or hassle or whatever passed over from your old contract provider to your new one. So in Ian's case, three over to to Vodafone or O2, for example, or anyone else. What it wants to do is have a new body that is in charge of this. And the idea is that you would go through a a few simple steps. The first is that you tell a new provider that you want to switch and whether you want to keep your number. Then this new provider gets all the information about your existing contract tells you about the notice period that's left, and then as long as you agree, then you can sort of initiate that switch. Uh, I think basically immediately. Um, You then get a text message which tells you how many outstanding charges or uh, if you have any credit on your account or anything like that, and you reply to the text message to say, yes, I do want to switch. And then if you do have a notice period, then it would start from the point you reply yes. Uh, then you'll get a temporary SIM in the post, which may already be active, or you may have to call the new um, uh, provider to activate it, and it would simply go live at the start of your new date uh, for your new contract, or and, would and kill your old phone at and, the same time. Correct, and that would be and that would be it. So no more asking for pack codes and calling up your new provider and giving them the pack code and then waiting for it to apply and having that sort of middle ground. Now that's the first suggestion that they have. The second is that um, the pack could remain. So you would still request uh, the pack from a current provider. You would then get an immediate reply via text message that has um, the pack code in it. And you can uh, sort of take out the new uh, contract and give them the, the, the pack code. And, you know, and this and then obviously after 30 days or whatever, it would uh, it would be applied to the new SIM. Now, that version of things seems like the most similar to the current version we have. That one I don't think involves the new body. It's basically just saying this is an automated pack. Like rather than having to call up and go through the whole process and everything, you can just say, give me a pack and you get one via text and you give it to your new provider. 
So there is a little difference there. One seems to be about being a little bit faster. One seems to be about um, giving you more information and and what have you, but does involve creating a new body. Now, out of these two options, Ian, do you think either of these would benefit you in your current position of wanting to switch? Uh, I don't know. I don't think the pack system is that bad. I certainly don't want to create another new body to deal with it. I mean, that just sounds appalling. Um, I, I do... I. I, I can see why people would be frustrated by it. I, ultimately, what everyone wants to get to is a point where you don't have to call your current server. Although well, you don't have to do that now, really. Um, I, I, no one wants to have to break up, do they? That's the point. Like, that difficult breakup um, of gi- giving notice or something like that. But again, you know, signing up for a new contract already pretty much does trigger that, doesn't it? You get the, the often. I th- is that right? Or do you have to call for a pack? You do. Still. You generally, yeah. You, do, I think you do for almost all providers because they want to yeah. give you. They want to get. You can never do it online because what they want yeah. you to do is call up so they can and try and keep you yeah. and get a deal. Well, Which, I'm not interested in being trying to be kept. Once a decision's been made by my brain, um, my my mouth and uh, tongue tend to just execute my brain's orders. So by that point, the decision can't be reversed. Usually, my brain is very one track in that regard. So I just what, what so. For me, the winner is the one where I don't have to do that. I don't want to have to call my old provider and give them a load of... Have a long conversation on the phone with them about their failings and then then sort of half-heartedly attempt to retain my custom. Let's talk about Xiaomi, the Chinese manufacturer that has got the tech sites rather excited at the moment but before we talk about exactly why they're excited let's just listen to your unboxing of the new xiaomi mi 5 phone a phone that costs just over 200 quid but has many of the same internals as something like the samsung galaxy s7 let's hear what you had to say uh, earlier this week so the Mi 5 is powered in this case by a Snapdragon 820 with 3 gigs of RAM. You can get a Pro 128 gig model that has 4 gigs of RAM, but that's not the one I'm testing here. This one does, however, have dual SIM card slots, uh, but of course do bear in mind that that has an impact on battery life as well. Uh, the phone's first impressions, it's brilliantly light, really comfortable to hold. The screen's really nice, it's a 1080p screen. Uh, but it's still very, very crisp and very clear and very bright. You also get the Qualcomm fast charge support and the USB-C cable included in the box, which is very good. Uh, nothing else, though. Obviously, no, uh, no other bits and bobs, no headphones in this particular case. Um, what you also get, though, camera, 16 megapixel, phase shift autofocus, which is really important. Uh, same tech you find in the iPhone and the Galaxy S7 should get very, very quick autofocusing results. The phone runs Android Marshmallow. Um, feels very slick and responsive as well. Now, that was Ian Morris obviously speaking earlier this week uh, in his post on Forbes.com. How have you found the first few days of using it since you did that unboxing? Well, I've, I've actually switched to it because um, I think that's obviously the only way you can really test a phone is to give it a full go. Um, and I've been pretty impressed, actually, I have to say. Um, I, d- I don't know what I expected. I know that people like uh, the Xiaomi phones and I know that they're widely well received. Um, but this is the first one that the companies wanted to make available outside of China. Uh, usually it's been sort of one of these things where we've watched from afar with interest 
um, but with no hope of ever getting one, really. Um, this one is completely different. And I, I've got to say, actually, it's, it's, it's probably worth pointing out that it does get some criticism for software. But um, I've found very few um, of the things you'd expect, like translation issues. Um, I think it's quite clear how the phone works. I think that the whole system is beautifully designed. Um, it isn't pure android it's quite a it's quite a xiaomi version of uh, android which now, now let me stop you there ian because yeah. i did want to point out what some of the reviews have been saying as they've come in yes. um and software is one of the points that came up by pretty much all these reviews as its weak spot is that, that you know the hardware is great but there are real issues or at least there are obvious pitfalls uh, with the software that you need to be aware of, which is where maybe you're making some of the saving here. Ars Technica didn't give the phone a score, but they, they concluded great hardware saddled with weird software, but they also said it's hard to argue with a $305 price tag for a Snapdragon 820 processor. Um, Mashable also didn't give it a score, but they said it's a stellar Android smartphone for an unbeatable price. The Verge gave it 8.1 out of 10. CNET gave it 4 out of 5. So, like, everyone seems to agree that from a hardware perspective, a value perspective, and as a general overall score, it's right up there, and it's and it's a great package. But as you say, the software seems to be this thing's pitfall, and with software being now such a key part of what we see a phone to be, based, basically they're all five-inch black slabs with a button at the bottom, you know, software not being good enough, is that enough to get people to think, Actually, it's worth spending a hundred quid more and getting a well a Samsung or, or a bit more and getting an iPhone. Well, it's, but that's the th- that's the thing, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I do absolutely agree with you. And there's the, you know the software the software is not terrible. Um, there are some bugs, um, but what I've also noticed is that the company uh, is absolutely fastidious with um, pushing updates. So there is a it seems to be that they do a weekly update. There is a a, a, a proprietary update process that the phone can go through um and they you know they seem to be pretty on it actually i've already had one update since i've had the phone and that's only been a week or so um some of the problems are annoying but they're not they're not devastating at all i I don't use this phone and think oh i'm really i'm really having to fight against the os here um the um the, the the thing that I noticed earlier was that this is the second time this has happened. For some reason, there's some there's a bug with contacts, uh, and that affects WhatsApp, so that um, I can't see who messages are from. Removing WhatsApp and reinstalling it seems to clear it, uh, but I don't know why that is. Um, it might be something I can raise with them directly. I'll I'll, I'll look into that. Um, and there are a few little things like that. For example, notifications don't appear the way I would expect them to on Android. Um, Again, that might be that there's a way to tweak that and get into the guts and, you know, very simply um, adjust it. But I think fundamentally the attraction of this phone is that what you're getting is an S, a Galaxy S7, but Mm. for a fraction of the price. And here's an interesting, uh, just an end point as well. It's this dual SIM phone and you don't see that very often. Um, and it's interesting because I had I did run it with dual sims for the first 24 hours and it didn't have a massively negative impact on the battery life. Um, and obviously you can, you can assign which you want to do data and stuff. But actually, if you think about it, that makes that phone incredibly useful if you're a traveller or if you're business and you want to have extra you know guffins and all that stuff. It's actually incredibly useful and you don't see dual sim phones in the UK very much. Well, the phone is on sale now. You can buy it in the UK, although you have to buy it directly, I think, from either an importer or via Xiaomi. But if you you do so, or if you're planning on doing so, let us know why and or what do you think to it. Um, Podcast at natelangson.com. 
Well, let's stay on the topic of phones uh, for the time being, but also let's let's blend it with the topic of money because Google is expanding Android Pay, that's its digital wallet, to the UK. Now, for those uh, NFC payment watchers out there in your anoraks with your notepads out thinking, my, what an interesting time it must be to be a user of NFC payments. There are so many choices. Well, you're right. And sharpen your pencil because you've got a few names to write down now. We've got Android Pay coming here. We've got Apple Pay here already since last year. Samsung Pay is due imminently. We've got LG Pay, which has launched, I think, or is launching in South Korea at the moment, which is only a matter of time before that goes global as well. Now, that's they're just they're just four. Um, that's on top of all the others you can imagine coming out at some at some point. Now, the first question I have for you, Ian, is, and I'm saying this knowing the answer or will be preparing to disagree with you, um, is this confusing for the consumer? Yes. Because right now, why, I mean, I actually don't necessarily even know the answer to this myself. If I have a Samsung po- phone, do I use Samsung Pay or Apple Pay, uh, Android Pay? Or can well, I you use- can use either, you have a choice. But they're fundamentally the same thing but they all strike different deals so some of them don't have all the same deals like android isn't going to yeah. have barclays at launch we don't think and won't no support. but no one will have barclays because barclays was on its stupid idiotic bpay mission and if you've had a look into bpay it's hopeless absolutely hopeless but i think you can use barclays now with apple pay they've said they are going to support it they just haven't said when it's coming by the 27th of march so in fact well, it should today. be today <laughs> exactly yeah, but it won't have launched but it, you know it won't android pay won't support american express at launch apple pay i think launched amex support a little later from launch then you've got samsung pay uh, which is going to be supported natively on the the galaxy devices so that's the s6 the s6 edge the s6 active the note 5 and then the S7 and S7 Edge, which are going to get that as well. You download the Samsung Pay app onto the phone, but apparently you don't have to own one of these because you can use a um, a dongle or something and plug that into any Android phone, and then you can use it without having to use a Samsung device, which also makes me wonder, could you down the line do that with an Apple device as well? Well, I don't see why not. I mean, it, 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 all it is is tokenized card numbers, isn't it? So it doesn't, yeah. it's not a difficult process in order, it, you know. I mean, the fact that you can do it on um, the Apple Watch and the iPhone, um, there's no reason you couldn't also do it on something else that had NFC in it. But one of the great things about contactless payments is that it's it's pretty obvious when you when you when you can use it. You go to a, a, a contactless terminal, and contactless is contactless. And and if you've got a device that supports it, you put your phone against it, and it just works. But if we're going down the road where we've got Android Pay, we've got Samsung Pay, maybe you've got an iPhone and a, Sam- and, a and a Samsung device. You know, one's a work phone, one's a personal phone. You know, which which do you have your card registered to? And actually, it's extremely complicated. Like, um, and, and this is something I discovered quite quickly um, because I, so Apple Pay launched just slightly before the iPhone 6S came out and I had the iPhone 6 and I'd put my cards on the 6 and then I, when I came, when I got the 6S I tried to put the cards on again um and I couldn't because they needed to be they ne- I needed to call the companies to reauthorize them because I'd already done it once um and that so that means that putting them on an Android phone as well becomes complicated it, it the thing is the system is already a bit of a mess but it's only going to get worse and I would appeal to the companies to users you know, we need to really think carefully about how we want to support these because it, you know, we are potentially being 
the sort of unwitting recipients of a lot of corporate BS, which is which bank supported on which software, on which phone, which device. It's hard enough to pick, you know, what credit card or what bank you want to be with. And it's hard enough to, you know, decide whether you want to go Android or switch to Samsung, uh, sorry, switch to Apple or what have you. And I think that we need to be very careful and think longer term than, you know, just jumping on these as soon as they launch and actually think, you know, who do we want to have our money with? Who is most likely to consolidate in future? Because consolidation is probably where this needs to be, I think, down the line. Well, um, like like, um, like Apple Music, they realised that they couldn't have a service that wasn't available on Android and on PCs and stuff like that. So they launched apps to support that. Um, that should be the way. I mean, I think Apple Pay should come to Android, and I think it wouldn't make it wouldn't be too much of a problem if Android Pay turned up on um, on iPhones. Although I think they might want to rethink the name. But hey, yes, I would love for this to be a universal standard. The contactless thing is the standard, and that's and that's great. But we need consolidation here. But listen, don't worry, everybody, because Ian and I have solved this for you. We have got a device agnostic solution to prevent any stress on your part in future. And uh, we've even prepared an advert for you to make this easy for you to digest. Announcing Podcast Pay, an entirely necessary additional form of competing contactless payment for the modern shopper. With the public being begged to dip its toes into the competitive waters of NFC payments, drowning is an option. Podcast Pay is here to help. Don't worry about whether you can use your Apple Watch to buy biscuits or install Samsung Pay on your Android Pay-enabled LG phone to buy pornography. Simply use Podcast Pay. Download text message to any device and simply play the following message to your storekeeper. Hello, this is Nate Langson. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes and we'll pay for those biscuits or that smut. Then email podcast at natelangson.com to tell our friendly, courteous staff that a review has been left, along with your address, and a check will arrive in the post covering the cost of your purchase, assuming it's less than a quid. Podcast Pay, helping you navigate the NFC payment landscape while the industry gets its act together and consolidates on a standard. Well, I wanted to take this moment very quickly to thank everyone who's been leaving reviews in the iTunes stores. We're up to 126 in the UK store. 126 reviews. That's amazing. Five stars. It's fantastic. Um, thank you to everyone else. I wanted to point out, I did a little look around the some of the other stores around the world. We've got 11 reviews out there in the US, six in Ireland. And when I say in the US, I mean on the US iTunes stores. Six in Ireland, five from Australia, one in Denmark, one in Switzerland, two from Spain, and one each from the Netherlands, France, and Germany. They're just the ones that I happened to look at earlier today before we recorded, and I'm very, very grateful, as is Ian, because these are the things that keep us being noticed. This is what helps new people discover us, and um, we prefer to get your reviews um, than any kind of financial support, which is why we don't appeal for that. So thank you for those who have done so already, and uh, thank you to those who are maybe going to say, you know what, today's the day I'm going to leave them a review, and I'm gonna tell a colleague at work or i'm gonna play this to my son or daughter or spouse or grandparent or whoever um we appreciate it very much and uh when you are telling people about the show or indeed any other show um we also want to make sure that you're helping them to install the show as well how do they get a podcast what is a podcatcher help them with that as well and another great show that you can subscribe to is our friend tom Merritt's show on daily tech news show in the us who's going to give us a bit of a wrap-up for this week 
Thanks, Nate. This week on DTNS, a psychologist explained to us why we like to watch other people playing video games, and a lot of us do. We discussed just how the FBI might crack into that iPhone 5C without Apple's help, investigated whether the funding crunch for startups is a whole buster, just a slow leak, and talked about how one person removing 17 lines of code from one place brought down a huge chunk of the internet. You can find those stories and more at dailytechnewsshow.com. Back to you, Nate. Thanks then to Tom, Daily Tech News Show, of course, there. And uh, it's quite nice having this reciprocal relationship. His listeners get to hear a plug from me every week and ours get to hear one from him. So hopefully you can listen to both shows. And thanks again to everyone who's leaving us reviews. Well, let's get to the uh, the old elephant in the room here, Ian. Let's talk about uh-huh. the Apple announcements from last week. Now, we're going to take it as a given that ev- pretty much everyone who's listening to this knows what they've been, what was announced. An iPad Pro, nine point seven inch, um, same basic specs as the big one, but in a smaller body um, and, uh, and fractionally slower. From what well, I'm gathering, well, that's what we'll come to. But but essentially, it's a smaller version of the bigger version of the small thing that they released. <laughs> Um, there's also the iPhone SE, which is the four-inch version um, of the iPhone, which is basically the same internal specs as an iPhone 6S, but in a smaller body with a slightly less slim design that's at a slightly lower price, which uh, you know we'll, again we'll we'll come to. And and not a great deal else was announced. You know, some new straps, but no one really cares about straps. And then there was some unusual kind of to me a little bit of. Um, uh, mixed messages where the first sort of 10 or 15 minutes of the keynote was spent talking about how green apple was and how you know how it was putting solar panels on buildings to power data centers and it was good to yaks and various other things and then you know halfway through the the show they were talking about how there are 600 million pcs in the world over five years old and how sad was that you know they should all be using ipads let's get rid of them which you know to me seemed like a very wasteful uh, message and not akin to what the green credentials were at the start of the that show. That didn't go down at all well in the media or generally, actually, that statement about five-year-old PCs. Well, it didn't um, go down I... very well in my head either because I, I've got a five-year-old Mac here that is perfectly useful because I'm doing the podcast with it, not getting rid of that. And a five-year-old PC for many applications is fine. Like, let's yeah. get let's get over that. Like, that can still be running Windows 7, running on a quad-core Intel i5 or dual-core Intel chip of any kind, in fact. And could be perfectly fine. So I think that was a stupid thing to say. And even though I get what they were meaning, I think that it probably wasn't Apple's intention to come across as a wasteful company, but it definitely gave the impression that it might be. Well, the the eco stuff is all for nothing if you don't sell more stuff. Like, you know, you can't be an environmentally friendly company if you don't sell anything or if you don't do anything. They so only, they have to shift more gear, don't they? I they mean, do. That's the, and the I dichotomy think of business. The missing perspective that would make me feel like I was going a little easier on Apple here would be if their recycling program was acceptant to those 600 million PCs. Like if Apple said, we will recycle, we'll take apart and recycle any of these 600 million PCs if they're over five years old and give you a credit towards an an iPhone or a Mm. Mac or something, I'd be a little bit more supportive because at least then that it's not just, you know, isn't it sad that these old PCs get rid of them, throw them away? Like, because they'll end up in a landfill, you know, do what Apple does and, and will give you money for your old Apple product, you know, which is a great way of encouraging recycling. Um, it would have been a lot nicer, but let's leave that there. I just want—I didn't want that to go unmentioned because you know I—I I, I wasn't particularly happy with that outcome. Um, but the products now, I'm going to start with the iPad Pro 
because I'm very excited about the iPad Pro 9.7 inch. I'm a massive fan of the iPad. Um, I love it. I um, I stopped using the iPad Pro because I decided it was just too big um, <laughs> for what I wanted, which is, you know, I use it more as a consumption device and also a kind of productivity device, but not a kind of laptop replacement device which is really but, how but it, funnily i that's exactly what i use mine for all the time well this is going to be very interesting then yeah. in that case because i, mean, I, 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 li- I, li- I don't take laptops out with me anymore i just take the ipad pro it's it's it is it has but i do accept that i'm in a very small minority and um i got i got a real bashing for this when i wrote about it on forbes but hey ho you know people people have take, certainly taken a, a hatred towards apple re- recently which i don't understand but hey the i i'm one of the people that bought one of those uh iMac the the 12 inch Macs you know the one that doesn't yeah. have a fan and i do believe that's one of the reasons why I dis- why i found myself not using the ipad pro as much is because when i want to be doing that kind of thing that's what i bought that thing for you know it costs yes. like a thousand quid i'm not going to just so, uh, which is about the same as you'd have to spend on the, the ipad pro really yes. I mean, to get to get the one worth really using i say you have to have the 128 gig 4g yeah um and the keyboard case and that's what 1300 quid or something isn't it so it, it is or it's it's a lot of money it is so i'm very excited about this new 9.7 model because the iPad Air 2 barely leaves my side. You know, I use it in bed. I use it in the bathroom. I use it in meetings. I use it, um, you know, basically I use it for everything except work. And even mm. then I do use it for work in as much as meetings or email or, or things like that. Um, but so I'm excited about this because it's got it's got a lot more power in it. It's got a screen that I'm very excited about because the screen on the iPad Pro is is phenomenal. Even though, oh, mate. You know, it's it, so good. It it's is, so really good. is. The quad speakers, it's it's a weird thing, but it actually makes quite a big difference when you're using it. You know, to, to listen to music or to watch, um, you know, watch films on, like having speakers on either side of the device, it makes a big difference. That, to me, is quite is quite a significant thing. And the way they've configured them is very smart. You get bass at the bottom and treble at the top, and it doesn't matter which way around you hold it. It, it knows that, and it re, re-adjusts the sound to it does. take into account. And it's, you know, it's, it's a good idea. And, it, and the same it does with the stereo effect as well, depending on how you're, you're holding it. You know, it's got the A9X chip, which is a hell of a lot faster than the iPhone, than the iPad Air 2. But some of the benchmarks that we've seen come through the Geekbench benchmark tool suggest that the A9X chip is running slightly slower than it is in the iPad Pro. Now, that's almost certainly a way of compensating A for the fact that it's got a smaller battery and you don't want a chip running at crazy speed but also may not be as much of an issue because it also has fewer pixels to drive. You know, the the 12-inch model has, you know, a huge amount of extra pixels that the same processor has to drive. So by knocking down the clock speed a little bit, you don't necessarily eat up a lot of battery power to provide... To, to deliver yeah. fewer things, if, you, if that makes sense. So it probably it does, averages out at giving you the same overall performance. The thing is that you I mean, people sort of tend to forget this, but uh, Apple's kind of like it, it their, their whole drive is about the result, isn't it, really? Um, and that's why they've, I mean, they, do, they have started to make a bit more of a fuss about the, what, the, you know, the hardware they put into these devices. But as a rule, they didn't used to talk about it because what they wanted you to do is focus on what you could do and forget about what was driving it because well, that dif- wasn't their interest. The and, difference now, though, is that they have to give you a reason to upgrade. So they have well, to they, talk yeah. more about, about this. It's the same way that when people say, you know, this, you know, 
all these different iPhones, and we'll come to iPhone in a minute, but you know, all these iPads, you've got the iPad Mini, the iPad Air, the iPad Air 2, the iPad Pro in two sizes, and like, you know, and people say the same, like, Jobs wouldn't have allowed this. Well, you know, my view is actually probably would have. Like, let's not beat around the bush here, because with the Macs, there have always been several you know, Mac, uh, types of Mac. You've had the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, and they all came in different configurations and different sizes. And the same for the iMacs, like, and the same for the iPods. You had three or four different brands of iPod on sale at any, any one time. Like, it's not about not having different product types to suit different people. Yeah. It's about communicating why they are so different. And the problem is, is that with the iPad Air and the iPad Pro 9.7 inch, I think that's the most difficult to suggest to, to you know to to pick apart in terms of which you should buy other than one's cheaper because the screen resolution is the sh- same i've looked at the size they are to the millimeter and to the gram exactly the same weight height depth and width mm. they have the same screen resolution they have the same operating system they have everything except one of them has the potential to be faster has a much better screen and a bunch of other stuff but without the screen size that you get on the iPad Pro, it's a harder sell as to why you would buy Undockable that. Undockable with that connector, which I do think is significant. I don't, to be honest. I th- really? I don't until you have a different option of keyboard, until you start getting other utilities. Well, there are. Can- there are other. There, there is a, there's a Logitech one, I believe, but that, that, um, but that's goes the, along. But that's, so that's it. So the differentiation is sure. not necessarily in the hands of Apple. It's yeah. in the hands of the accessory makers. And I, and I get that, and that's and that's fine. And I, you know, and I say this as someone who is extremely excited about this because I like power, I like screen quality, I love the speakers, I love the the speed that you can get out of these things. I love the fact that efficiency is also a big part of these new chips, and that running two apps side by side may on the A9X chip um, be a lot better than running two apps side by side on the iPad Air. It, you know, you do notice sluggishness on the iPad Air when you're running two apps, or if you're running two apps in a video in picture in picture which i do regularly you notice the battery life goes down faster you notice that things just aren't quite on occasion as nippy as when you're running just a single app so there are a number of reasons but in terms of explaining that in apple's linguistic style which is usually as simple as it can be that becomes yeah. difficult and i think that that's and without basically saying don't buy the ipad air 2 it's not as good that's you know they have to be careful don't they because they obviously do. But having said that, the iPad Pro has done quite something quite good for the iPad Air. It's dropped the price, hasn't it? So it has. Um, that's now that's now a super affordable tablet for anyone who wants one of those instead. So I that's agree. Quite good. And if that's and if that becomes the key differentiator, is that one has is higher powered, better specs, better screen, supports pencil, supports these apps, or whatever. Then great. But I think there still needs to be a bigger price difference between the two. Otherwise. You know, th- even the name Air to me now sort of is kind of a moot point because they weigh, they weigh the same. Yeah. So I think you know one needs to be just the iPad and one needs to be the iPad Pro, I, I and think the price difference some... needs to be more noticeable between the two. And maybe that's a year away, but that's where I think this needs to go. And then I think you've got a great pair of products, well differentiated, and you know it, it sends a much clearer message. Well, like, like you know, we've we have talked about this offline quite a bit, haven't we? But the, you know, the idea of simplifying the the laptop lineup and maybe the MacBook Air going away because it isn't Retina and it isn't it's anything old. Apple. It's got fans. It's not Retina. It's got ports you don't well, the, need. The Pro has fans as well, doesn't it? But you know, the, the I think really the point is that I think they are going to be 
consolidating things and making the lineup a bit simpler. But I, you know, I don't know. This I, is my it, prediction. No one I... knows what Apple does, but I, I, I think you've got sound logic there. I think the MacBook Air will probably go away, and I think the iPad Air will probably go away. But it will be just the iPad, like you say, and I'm, there'll be the Mini. I'm convinced that this WWDC, they will kill off the MacBook Air. They will release a three. There'll be three versions of what is currently the MacBook, the fanless little thing that i bought that will need to get a little bit more performance though won't it but they but apple intel's already released two uh, three versions in fact they might even be in the second generation now three versions of the m the the core m chip that powers these things the fanless chip there are three there's the m3 m5 and m7 the initial macbook was released before even the first bunch of three came out and i've got a feeling they've recently announced updates to those three so it makes sense that you'll have the MacBook, which will be a fanless, ultra-thin thing with three different tiers of performance, and then MacBook Pro, which they'll update to Skylake, and they'll get rid of the, the MacBook Air. And then yeah. next year, they'll get rid of the name Air off the iPad and just call it iPad and iPad Pro. That's yeah. my view. Sounds like you agree, which is... I do agree, but I also, yeah, like you said, I think the Air name is a bit silly when everything's that light now. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and the MacBook is lighter than the air anyway, isn't it? So actually that whole naming convention just doesn't work, for, particularly for laptops. I don't think we can let it go unmentioned that the iPad Pro has been given not only the same camera as the iPhone 6S, it's also been given a flash. Now, on the one hand, if this is just for, let's say, video use, and let's say this is exclusive for video use, fair dues. On the other hand, please... Please don't see this as a reason to use an iPad Pro as a camera out in the street because you look a fool. This happens all the time at gigs, I'm told. I don't go to gigs, but I'm told there's a scourge of people using iPads when they should be using phones or nothing. In fact, nothing at all is better. I'm kind of torn in some ways because there have been occasions where I've been holding the iPad Pro and thought, oh, I could just use a quick camera here and I don't have my phone on me. So, hey, I might have just disproven my own stupid theory. Well, you know what? Now you say it, I've done the same. Now I think about it. I have definitely taken the occasional photo when I've been using the iPad to read and I've seen something and I want to capture it quickly, it's, oh, I'll just use the iPhone, uh, the iPad camera. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's fine. Usually disappointment ensues, but not anymore. All right. Just don't use it if you're a tourist because everyone looks at you and the next step is selfie sticks for iPads and, and, then, and then it's the end of humanity as we know it. Well, let's move on and talk about the, uh, the, the, uh, the iPhone SE. Now, let's just briefly recap what Apple intends for this. It came across that they say people really want a four-inch phone. They really like the smaller size, and they don't want to buy a, a, an expensive product. Or rather, they in some countries at least they can't afford to buy that. So this is Apple's intention to give another option, not necessarily lower-end specs, but a lower, a smaller design, a, a lower price, and and really it's the birth of a new line. It's the iPhone SE. It's not got a number against it. So this represents probably Apple's lowest tier of iPhone for the foreseeable future. Which... I was a bit surprised. I mean, were you a bit surprised by it? In, in, I mean, I know we didn't. We knew it was coming. Yeah. But I'm, I, I, I was surprised that they put that much power and performance into it. I'm more surprised. Well, yes, I was very surprised. It's got the same chip as the iPhone 6. It's got the same amount of memory as the iPad Pro, which has got two gigabytes, which we didn't mention, actually. I've noticed that in the specs as well. The big iPad Pro has four gigs of RAM, whereas the small one only has two. But yeah. how much difference that makes, we'll come back to when I Again, do the review next week. Does Apple actually even mention the RAM? No, but it doesn't matter. It. it never does. It never has, but no. it, it doesn't matter because the, the specs reveal that. 
Um, but it does mean that the iPhone SE has got two gigs of RAM. It's got the same processor. It doesn't have the Force Touch, 3D Touch thing on the on the screen, but it does have Touch ID. It does have Apple Pay, and it does have the same camera as the iPhone 6S, which I also mean, that's, the iPad that Air That alone does. is enough of a reason to sell it, to, because I think I, I look at people who, so I, you know, my wife is a good example, doesn't want a big phone, um, but is increasingly not happy with any of the cameras on on phones because she, people with smaller phones tend to get a bum deal with cameras. So Apple's addressing that, which is actually a really nifty thing. I agree. Um, and that camera so, is unrivaled even. I mean, the, the, the S7s, the results I've seen so far, certainly put it on par. But I mean... It's very good, the S7. I, I would say probably has the edge, but it's newer. Um, and I, I mean, I think also autofocus is a huge deal for the S7. Yeah. Um, and also, I, lo- I absolutely love what LG's doing with the dual camera. I, as I said earlier, I really yeah. honestly think that that um, the way they've done that is such a clever idea, and it's such a good implementation that it has huge potential. And there are rumours, aren't there, that the iPhone Seven will have a dual camera module? Whether yeah. there's any truth in that, who knows? But, um, but yeah, you know, the the SC to me is, uh, it's. It's probably essential in some ways because um, I, I can't remember there was there was some numbers floating around about just how many. In fact, I think Apple might even have mentioned it about how many um, of the five F- S they were still selling. It's a huge percentage of, um, well, not a huge percentage. It's a it's a decent amount of money in terms of profit. It, it it probably makes up a big chunk of change. So they wouldn't want to neglect that audience, and they they couldn't keep selling the um, the five uh, S for much longer could they because that phone is becoming a little bit out of date their general sort of support you know they will support phones for longer than two years won't they but they they tend to become a little bit slow at the end of that time period they do and they it basically had the same internal specs as the iphone 5 which as you say you know is now four years uh or four generations old or i suppose it is four years old i mean yes i I think this was a really smart release i i think it's an extremely exciting iphone for people who are on a either um, an iPhone 5S or older, or mm. somebody who is who has been using an Android and is considering moving to iPhone but doesn't want to pay the the extra um, for the iPhone 6S. I think that the difference will be become more apparent when the iPhone 7 comes out. Um, and my my uh, my expectation, and actually in a way my hope, at least in terms of making advising people easier, is that the six goes away when the seven comes out. And that you have the iPhone 6S, the iPhone 7, and the iPhone SE. Because if the iPhone 6 stays on sale, and you have iPhone SE, 6, 6S, and 7, again, all the latter three come in two sizes, mm. then that is just a that is a confusing mess. Well, that, that is too many, but then I suppose they'll just stop selling the 6. That, well, that's what I'm hoping. I mean, it, I don't think that would make any sense, because given that it's less powerful than the SE, I don't see how they would justify that. I think it, they'd have to stop selling it. and Although and that's kind of not... The way they've done it in the past, but hey, you know things change, don't they? Well, the they o- you've got to move with it. The other way of consolidating, of course, is get rid of the six line entirely, including the six S, and just have the SE and the seven. Yeah, I mean, I could see it happening because I, I, that way uh, you're you're getting otherwise the cost even if- drop on the previous generation is never enough with Apple, is it? That's the thing; they they knock some off it. No, but it's never it's never quite enough to make it super attractive or super accessible. When the SE is so much cheaper then that that makes it even harder, doesn't it? You need so, to get yes. the illusion of value. And if you would just have an iPhone 7 that has, you know, let's just say here, you know, theoretically dual-lens camera and, you know, quad speakers and an A10 chip and all that kind of stuff, 
you know that makes a lot of sense to have to have that in two sizes and then and then have the se that still has the great camera and internal specs of the previous model at a good price but it doesn't mean people say do i want the se or the seven you know what i want one that's a bit better than that but not as good as that so i'll get the middle one just give them a choice either they the must... lower one that has great specs or the new one yeah, comes in they two must sizes. have really been take. They must be taking a big hit on the margin on this phone, though, because, and that's something they haven't really done in the past, has it? The iPhone has always been a big margin device, um, which is why Apple's made loads of money out of it. But this is going to be a, a huge drop in margin to the point where it, it must be not that much. I don't. I'm not convinced because they've been making a lot of the chips that go into that thing. That physically, it looks very, very similar to the to the iPhone five. S and so there's a lot of machine machinery yeah, and tooling that have, already they have exists. The machines, yeah, that's like very it, true. It, actually, it's probably a very small, relatively speaking, a very small amount of change that needed to be done to produce that phone and to keep it in circulation. Whereas, and presumably, a huge part of the price of these phones is down to screen and battery tech. Anyway, the, so the screen's always the most expensive part, apart yeah. from the physical engineering. Uh, you know the hardware and this summer stuff like you know it's re- it was ridiculously difficult i remember it, it being said to manufacture the iphone 4 when it came out like they basically had to just use machines designed for prototyping to uh, to actually use them on mass to make that phone because it was so hard so yeah. i think they, they they probably are making the margin that they want to make and actually on that. it's interesting that's what really hit samsung with the s6 you know there there was that that phone was difficult to make and they didn't think they'd sell very many so i think they had a quite low-key production on it which obviously keeps the cost down and then everyone wanted to buy that phone instead of the regular s6 so the prices you know they they really took a hit on that um which has caused samsung some real problems so you could say this stuff is fascinating i mean it probably isn't fascinating for some of our audience who are now asleep but um but for, for for People who live and breathe this stuff, it's actually really interesting to see why this phone is considered a huge success when a phone that's very similar isn't, you know, interesting. Well, we will be getting our hands on these devices uh, next week, this coming week. So you can expect uh, a more hands-on review sort of thing next week, uh, certainly for the iPad Pro, because I'm, I'm very keen to see what sort of a division I can create between the two performance-wise. So expect that soon. Uh, in fact, next weekend. In the meantime, let us know your thoughts and, crucially, maybe if you're interested in these, your questions for next week. So if you're thinking of buying an iPad Pro or buying an iPhone SE and you have specific questions about the hardware or the usage or whether you just think you should upgrade from whichever product you've currently got, podcast at natelangson.com or tweet us as well and include at pod their Twitter handle, uh, whether you're tweeting to Ian or I on Twitter, at Nate Langson or at Ian Morris 78 respectively, um, so that we can uh, we can see that you, you're you messaging it for the podcast and we can include it on next week's show. Uh, or as I say, email podcast at natelangson.com. Well, we'll be back in another week's time. Um, as we say, keep those emails, keep those reviews coming. Thank you to everyone for listening. And um, Ian, it has been nothing short of a pleasure I couldn't agree more. It's a, bit, it's a hell, of a, hell of an episode, this one. It's been a monster, but we did promise it was going to be a monster, and we did keep the Apple stuff to the end. So hopefully everyone who stuck around this long did want to listen to it and did enjoy it. If not, hate mail always welcome at podcast at natelangson.com, and we'll see you and your hate in a week. <laughs>